I would like to acknowledge that the land on which this podcast is recorded on is the traditional lands of the Ghana people and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to them today. We strive towards reconciliation for all Australians and recognise that this starts by acknowledging, understanding and educating ourselves on the past in order to work towards making a better future. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Bright Psych with Danny, where we talk mental health, learning and everything in between. Although we will be chatting about psychology and well-being, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute therapy, nor is this podcast intended as a substitute for professional mental health or medical care. Please seek assistance from a qualified mental health or medical professional to obtain advice or psychological treatment that is tailored to your specific needs. Did you have a good sleep last night? Do you ever feel like you're not getting enough sleep? Or do you find yourself lying awake with thoughts just going around and around on an endless loop in your head? Ever gotten those pesky middle-of-the-night thoughts? You know the ones. Those thoughts that can feel really important in the middle of the night, but then you wake up in the morning and they just don't seem like that big a deal. What about our young people? Do you care for an adolescent and you worry about their sleep habits? Are they getting enough sleep? Are they getting too much sleep? Or why does it feel like they're living in a different time zone to me? Getting adequate sleep is so important. Not getting enough sleep can impact so many parts of a person's life, including concentration, attention, reaction times, mood and mental health just to start. So let's talk sleep the mysterious yet absolutely essential need for it, and what we can do for ourselves and our young people to help it along a little bit. With us today is Dr. Chelsea Reynolds. Chelsea is a clinical psychologist who specialises in sleep. She has conducted numerous research studies on sleep amongst adolescents and has worked directly with young people to treat and manage various sleep conditions. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. So how much sleep do teenagers actually need and why is it that they need more than adults? Okay, so this is something I get asked a lot in the clinic because people are often looking for a magic number. Like if I want to get the best amount of sleep to function the best, then how much exactly should I get? But it's not like that easy. So I often say to people, imagine that you get your classroom and you arrange everyone in order of height from smallest to tallest. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that there's a lot of people in the middle who are all about the same height and then a few who are quite short and a few, just a few who are quite tall. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for sleep. So a lot of people need about the same sleep, but some might need a lot less and some might need a lot more. So <clears throat> when we think about teenagers, often it's about nine hours of sleep, give or take, but some teens would function really well on only eight hours, maybe even seven hours of sleep. Right. And some might really desperately need more like 10. Yeah, okay. So there is an average, about nine hours. But generally speaking, 
figure out what works for you and that's your sleep need. That's mm. how much sleep you actually need. Yeah, right. Yeah. And there'd probably be like a lot of variables in there with things like activity levels and genetics and things like that come into play too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And in terms of needing more than adults, so generally speaking, we just need more sleep when we're younger because mm. our brains are still developing. So children need more sleep than teenagers and teens need more sleep than adults. And then older adults need less sleep again. So while the brain is still developing, it's really important that teens get the sleep that they really need. And as they get older, they might find that they just don't need quite as much, but it doesn't happen rapidly. That decrease in sleep need, it's pretty gradual. So what happens to the teenage brain when someone doesn't get enough sleep? So I'll use another analogy. So Think about the brain as a hard drive, which is taking lots of new information during the day. Um, Some days, obviously, more than others, but especially on a school day, there's just so much coming into the brain. And the way that sleep works is that when you go to sleep, all the neurons are firing in the brain still, even when you're unconscious. And it's almost like they're downloading the information from the day into the long-term storage. So if they don't get enough sleep, then that process can be impaired. And they might not remember as much of what they've learned the previous day. They might end up having emotional difficulties or they're just less able to handle the general range of emotions. And things like keeping track of a conversation, if they don't get enough sleep, then they lose focus quite easily. So it impacts on learning as much as just your social life and your general daily life. So we did a study on teens in the sleep lab. So we got them in and we gave them either five hours of sleep for a whole week or seven and a half hours or 10 hours. So obviously the ones in the 10-hour condition are pretty happy with yeah. the sleep that they got. And they also just did things in the day that were like gaming, nothing too onerous. So it was pretty fun. And obviously those in the five-hour group were mm-hmm. feeling pretty dang sleepy by the end of it. What we found when we looked at all the cognitive tests that we got them to do mm-hmm. is that sustained attention is something that really does get impacted by sleep loss. So sustained attention is how well you can focus on something for a long period of time. So if you're reading a book, then after a couple of minutes, especially if you're not really into it, then <laughs> you know, you just like, where did, where was I? I didn't even read that sentence yeah, properly. And that. like in class, you're trying to listen to the teacher and you might get the first bit of their sentence at best. Mm. And then like you're off with the fairies. Yeah. So that's much worse when you don't have enough sleep. So obviously you're not going to learn what you're not listening to and what you're not actually putting into that hard drive. So that's one of the first things to go. Interestingly, some of the research we've done shows that the higher order cognitive functions, so things like your executive functioning and your general intelligence, yeah. are not as impacted by sleep loss. Right. They can they kind of get a little bit protected, okay. but it's all that like attention to detail stuff that really goes. So that's really important, especially for teens who are learning how to drive, because yes. you can't lose focus on no. the road, and that's yeah, pretty dangerous. What are some of the biggest challenges to teenage sleep? Is it true that screens are to blame? Well, that is a really great question. And it does come up a lot, actually, especially in the media, because you see a lot of get off your screens, they make you sleep bad. Mm. And it's not actually that simple. Mm. So a lot of people think that the bright light from the screen is really bad for your mm, sleep. That's what I've heard. And yes. the rest of it, like the blue light blue blockers. blockers. And, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, like people are making money off these glasses. Yeah. 
I hate to say it, but it's really not about the bright light when it comes really? to sleep. I do think that for some people it might be nicer on the eyes mm. to have the, you know, the blue the light filtered light. out. Yeah. yeah, like our research does suggest that blue light in particular can be tricky, but it doesn't really affect sleep quite that much. So we did a study a few years ago, actually. Again, we got a whole bunch of different teens into the sleep lab. We gave them either a brightly lit iPad or a dimly lit iPad, and they did exactly the same thing. So they did some simple games and cognitive tasks, and they watched a honestly boring documentary. (laughs) And I think those with the bright light, they only had like three minutes less sleep. Like it made no difference in actual terms. So if we had a lot of teens come in and do this study, then statistically speaking, we could say oh, significantly less sleep with a bright light. But three minutes actually isn't a lot. And a lot of the studies that are out there now are starting to find the same thing that we found. So they say, oh, you know, it is different, but it doesn't mean anything. Like maybe up to 10 minutes less sleep yeah. if you have a brightly lit screen compared to a dimly lit screen. So it's not that simple. What I would say, though, and this is something we're still researching because technology changes constantly, but what we think is happening is that a lot of teens and adults, honestly, they just get caught up doing things on the screen. So it's less about the light. It's more about they get hooked on, like, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling or watching videos or even, honestly, like, watching a movie, reading a book as well. Like, to play devil's advocate, you could push back your sleep just because you're reading a good book you don't want to put it down like yes that doesn't have anything to do with the screen and people do that all the time and like for teens who have group messages going you don't want to miss the group chat mm. so that's really hard so yes. it's not the screen that's the problem it's what's happening on the screen yeah and it's also most of the time a conscious decision not to put the device down because there's just better things to do on a device than going to sleep. And it's harder say those people who find it hard to get to sleep anyway. They're like, why would I lie there in the dark, tossing and turning and starting to get worried and having negative thoughts? Instead, I'm just going to pick up my phone and watch some YouTube. And sometimes that actually is helpful. So, you know, it goes back and forth. What I would say is that the take-home message, if you're feeling sleepy, like true sleepiness, your eyes are heavy, try and make a conscious choice to go to sleep, even if that means exiting the group chat or, you know, setting an alarm like, do you need to still be on your phone at this time? And then making the choice to try to go to sleep at least. Mm -hmm. What I would say as well, which I think is relevant here, is that for teens, they're also biologically wired to be up later and to find it harder to go to sleep. And this has happened for a long time. If you go back to studies from the 80s, you'll see that teenagers take longer to fall asleep and they just don't get as sleepy in the night compared to children. And this is something that probably has some sort of evolutionary backing to it in terms of growing up and needing to be out later at night. So teens these days they don't have a choice. Like on average, they're just going to find it harder to get to sleep as they get older. So that's something that they have to address as best as they can. And it means that for us, we can be a little bit sympathetic and think it's not all your fault and it's not all the device's fault either. Like this just might be a little trickier for you. And what are some of the sleep disorders that we might see in adolescents? So like I just said, the body clock drifts later for teens. On average, a lot of teenagers find that it might be 15 minutes later, maybe an hour later as they become teenagers from children. For some adolescents, they end up with a really delayed body clock. 
So we would call that delayed sleep-wake phase disorder or DSPD. For teens with DSPD, they might find that they, whether they like it or not, are awake until 3 or 4 a.m. And then they can't get out of bed until even after midday on the weekends. Obviously, if they're trying to get up at 6 or 7 for school, then they're absolutely wrecked. It's almost like being jet-lagged. It's like they're just living in a different time zone to the school day. So, and this is a real sleep disorder and it does happen in adults as well, but it's really, really common in teenagers. We think that there's some sort of switch that's flipped when they go through puberty, like a hormonal thing that's happening. We're honestly at the moment trying to do studies to really pinpoint exactly when in time this happens for them. Obviously it's hard to catch because everyone's so different, but I guess the, the main thing is that for kids with DSPD, it just is hard. Like they, they can't get to school on time. Or if they do, they're just not useful. Like their brain is basically still asleep. So for these teens, they probably need help from a sleep psychologist. Mm-hmm. Something called bright light therapy is really helpful, which I won't go into heaps of detail about now, but they need a little bit more tailored help than just your classic sleep strategies. And in spite of that, it's pretty common, so it's tricky. The other thing that can happen in teens is insomnia. So teenagers are not immune to you know, a lot of things adults go through. So insomnia can be really tricky. They don't have DSVD, obviously. So it's not like a body clock thing. They can get up like a roughly a normal time on the weekends if they want to. It's just that they might take ages to fall asleep. They'll have thoughts going round and round in their head, worries, sometimes not worries. Sometimes they're just not able to switch off their brain. Um, so this can be quite debilitating. It can obviously be linked to things like anxiety de- and depression, but ultimately having difficult nights is something that everyone goes through. And lastly, I won't probably talk about heaps of other sleep disorders, but in terms of things that could pop up that teams might want to talk to their doctor about is if they're snoring a lot, if they are having headaches in the morning, that could seem like something like sleep apnea, mm-hmm. like it can happen in teens. And then like restless legs, so having achy or jittery legs when they go to bed, that can obviously make it really hard to go to sleep. Today, Dr. Chelsea Reynolds is providing us with some insight on sleep and its importance on day-to-day functioning. You'll want to stick around because she'll be providing us with some evidence-based and useful sleep strategies that go beyond basic sleep hygiene or just putting your phone down. To recap what we've covered so far, how much sleep do our young people actually need? Research tells us that teens typically need more sleep than adults, and it can be about nine hours give or take, but it really depends on the individual. Chelsea spoke to us about the impact of poor sleep on the brain. If we think of the brain as a hard drive, during sleep, it downloads the memory from that day into long-term storage. So if someone isn't getting enough sleep, it can impact on what you remember learning that day. So if we put this into the context of learning, it can impact what information you might retain from studying or from classes, That could become problematic when you're heading into a test or an exam, and it can make assignments and other schoolwork a lot more difficult to complete. Lack of sleep can seriously impact our attention and our concentration, particularly our ability to pay attention for longer periods of time. This can impact concentration not just during classes, but also on the road as our young people are learning to drive. On top of this, Lack of sleep can impact mood and the ability to handle a general range of emotions or even keeping track of a conversation. 
So you can start to imagine how this might have a bit of a snowball effect on learning, mental health and social interactions. We asked Dr Reynolds about screen time and sleep. Although the light from our phones isn't really stopping us from sleeping, what we choose to do while we're on our phones might be. If you want to learn more about the addictive nature of phones and developing healthy habits, check out my earlier episode titled Smartphones and Social Media, Who is That Little Dopamine Devil on My Shoulder? If we're scrolling before bed, it can get our brains a little bit razzed up and make our minds a bit more alert than is ideal for when we're trying to wind down before bed. Turns out, the same thing goes for other things that could make us a little bit razzed. Games, movies, or even books that are exciting or thrilling can make it more difficult to calm the mind before bed. From my own personal experience, although I tend to read before bed and I do find this relaxing, I know that the book that I'm reading can't be too exciting or thrilling. Otherwise, I'll find it tricky to turn down the volume of my brain. In order to have more success in getting to sleep, we need to be mindful of those body cues for sleepiness. When we're feeling truly sleepy, you know, when your eyes are droopy and your head feels heavy, that's when we need to make the conscious decision to go to bed. Don't fight it and stay up later. So that means not clicking next episode or reading another chapter of your book. Dr. Reynolds provided us with some information about sleep disorders that can be seen in teens, including something called Delayed Sleep-Wake Phase Disorder, or DSPD for short. She also spoke a little bit about sleep apnea. And in addition to DSPD and sleep apnea, we have all likely heard of a sleep condition called insomnia. But how does this develop? When your head hits the pillow, have you ever found yourself trying to just get your brain to be quiet with little to no success? It can end up feeling like you're having a bit of a battle with your brain in the quest to just fall asleep. You know you have to get up early in the morning. Yeah, I know, brain. That's why I've gone to bed. I'm so tired. Just let me sleep. But what if you don't get enough sleep? Shh, that's enough. Let me sleep. You have to make sure you're organized. You have to go speak to Sarah tomorrow. And did you even send that email? I did. I did send that email. I bet you worded it all wrong. You'll have some explaining to do tomorrow to Sarah. Shh, just let me sleep. You're thinking a lot, aren't you? But all these thoughts are going to keep you awake. You're going to be so exhausted tomorrow. Uh, uh, P minus 5.5 hours until alarm. Does your brain do this? It might not be the exact thoughts that you have, but it tends to focus on the stressful or embarrassing things that have happened throughout the day. So what's going on here? And how can this lead to sleep conditions like insomnia? So sometimes it just starts with one bad night. So let's say that you generally have a pretty good night's sleep and then one night, maybe no reason at all, it just takes you a while to fall asleep and you're getting frustrated and you're like, why is this happening? Like, this is not usual for me. You check the clock, you realize it's, you know, midnight and you were trying to go to bed since 10. You're like, what on earth? This is terrible. And then you eventually fall asleep. You don't feel great the next day, but you survived. And then maybe the next night it happens again. And if it happens often enough, then your brain starts to associate your bedroom with that negative feeling, frustration, and maybe some worries as well. So this is what we call like conditioned associations where eventually you just look at your bedroom and you think, 
no, I do not want to go in there tonight. Yeah. It's a world of pain. Wow. You were so tired today. You're back in bed now. You better get some rest. Oh, I know. I've been looking forward to sleep all day. But remember what happened last night, though? You could barely sleep. It took forever. And you ended up being so tired. I don't know if you're going to be able to fall asleep. I mean, what if you don't? You're just going to be even more tired again tomorrow. You should probably worry about that for the next few hours. And that's how insomnia classically develops, even in adults. So it's something that can be really hard to get out of that cycle of negative thinking. Mm -hmm. There's obviously strategies that you can use, and maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later, but also chatting with a psychologist about what kind of things might work specifically for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess while we're on the topic of strategies, what are some of the strategies that teens can use to improve their sleep habits? The best thing that anyone can do when they're trying to get a better night's sleep is to make sure that they're really sleepy when they go to bed. So this is something we call sleep pressure. The more sleep pressure, the more sleepy you are. I'll use the analogy of a petrol tank. So let's say that we wake up in the morning, we have a full petrol tank, and then we use that petrol across the day to do all kinds of fun things, mundane things as well. And by the time we get to bed at the end of the day, we have an empty petrol tank and we fall straight to sleep. Sometimes what happens is that we still have some petrol in that tank So we might use that for things like staying up a little later or maybe just like tossing and turning in bed and worrying. So it's really helpful when you go to bed and turn out the light to go to sleep that you have a super empty petrol tank. And the best way to do that is to make sure that you just stay out of your room or at least out of your bed until you're sleepy. And that also brings me to another strategy is that really you only want your bed to be for sleep. Mm -hmm. So like I just said with the associations, You can associate your bed with negative thoughts. You can also associate it with being alert. So if you're in bed all the time doing your homework, watching, you know, movies, watching videos, playing games and things, then your brain thinks that your bed is like for alertness, not for sleep. Mm. So find somewhere else to do those things. Like find somewhere comfy in your room, take a blanket with you because it's winter, get really relaxed elsewhere. And once you're sleepy, you feel your eyes really getting tired and, you know, like if you could put your head down, you'd fall asleep, then you go to bed. And that's how you make sure that your brain associates the bed with sleep. Not just, oh, my body is tired, but my mind's active. You know, like you don't want to go to bed like that. You want to go to bed when you really are feeling that sleepiness in your eyes. Getting some good bright light in the mornings is really helpful. So this regulates the body clock by suppressing melatonin. That's our sleepiness hormone. So having that bright light come through the eyes tells the brain, okay, it's time to be awake. And if you do this regularly over a few days, then your body clock lands, okay, I'm going to start feeling alert around this time every day because that's what, you know, the light is teaching me. Having a bit of activity as well is good. I often tell people if you can walk to school, walk to the bus stop, if you just don't wear sunnies, if you can, if your eyes can handle it in the mornings, have breakfast near a bright window or something, like just get some good natural light in there is really helpful. Light on your eyeballs. Got it. Yeah. Light in the eyeballs. It does not work if your eyes are closed. <laughs> I've had to specify that. <laughs> so there's something that we can use called cognitive refocusing. It's really simple. Basically, if your thoughts are drifting to worries or planning your day ahead or just reliving things and you're like caught up and not sleeping, it can be helpful to do something in your head that's positive to neutral. So nothing too exciting, but let's say you can replay your favorite movie or TV show or even like sing songs in your head. Something that is familiar enough to you that it's like relaxing, 
And just do that for a while, obviously with your eyes closed while you're being relaxed. And that means that your brain is distracted from thinking of all the worries and it's busy doing mundane things. And you probably just find you fall asleep doing that. Often we can have success with teens making a pact with a friend. So they say, I want to get better sleep. We're often messaging each other late at night or we know that we're both just stuck scrolling. Can we say to each other from this time, let's just make a pact not to be on our phones or at least to get off social media and to stop messaging each other. So doing it with someone helps you with that accountability, which can be really good. Having something like a regular sleep schedule can be helpful. A huge disclaimer for kids with DSVD, the ones that don't go to sleep till three and they're awake way past midnight. This isn't really suitable. They need a bit more fine tuning. But for kids with, you know, an average kind of sleep pattern, they don't find it really difficult to get up for school. It can be helpful to have something of a regular schedule, even on the weekends. So if you find you really sleepy, try and go to bed a little earlier rather than sleeping in to midday because that throws out the body clock. Like it's not going to help you on Monday morning. And the last thing, people have probably heard lots about sleep hygiene. So I won't bang on about it because that's the stuff you usually get. So no caffeine in the evenings, even if you if you find that you're particularly susceptible to caffeine, cut that out after midday or something. Mm-hmm. Um, using dim lights in the lead up to bed can be really helpful to activate that melatonin, the sleepiness hormone that I was talking about, and trying to be in bed only for sleep, which I've talked about as well. So you try and do all the things that you want to do in bed, out of bed if you can. And what can parents do to help their teens establish healthy sleep habits? So it's a loaded question because teens <laughs> and parents don't always see eye to eye when it comes to bedtime. <laughs> really? Um, that's funny that. I actually find teenagers really great to work with because you can actually work as a team. You can treat them like adults because they basically are. And you can say, what is going to work for you? Like you can't just tell a teenager what to do. It doesn't always work. Sometimes teens are fantastic and they say, you know what? I do agree that that's best for me. I'm just going to do what you say. And they should hopefully trust their parents. But often you just need to work with them. So what I would suggest is that for parents, they find a way to say to their kids, what can I do to help you? What would you like to be different? So if the teens are finding that they can't really get up for school in the mornings, the parents are constantly getting them out of bed, like stop snoozing that alarm, stop ignoring me, like get moving. Or even if they're just super sleepy in the mornings, what can they do in the evening, like way on the other side of sleep to help prepare them? So time management is really tricky. You get caught up doing homework. You might have part-time jobs. Um, you're socializing. Like there's so much to do. And then family time as well. Like your parents want you to come eat dinner and there's a lot to fit into an evening, especially if they've got after school sport and stuff. Like you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And then you're thinking, well, where's my me time? And you know, that revenge procrastination. It's like, yeah. I haven't had a moment to myself all day. I'm just going to stay up a little later than I know I should because I want some me time. Yes. Totally guilty about myself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can develop some sort of schedule, not even like to the dot, but like how much time do you need to get your homework done? parents can sit down and say okay well what can I do to help you do you need some reminders do you need me to from a certain clock time say hey have you you know gotten that done yet you really wanted to get it done yesterday so work with as a team really parents can also establish a helpful sleep environment and model a lot of these appropriate things so if they are also not having caffeine into the evening and having dim lighting around the house trying to have things quiet and too stimulating because the last thing that a teen wants is for their parents to be like, well, I'm going to watch my show, yeah. but you have to go to bed. Yeah. Maybe model like, we all probably should go to bed. Everyone needs good sleep. Let's all get it together. And then look, probably the last thing I'll mention is that it is really helpful 
to see a dedicated sleep psychologist if anyone finds that their sleep is past the point of responding to any of these kinds of strategies. The thing is that with a sleep psychologist, you can work through something of a sleep diary and really nut out all the patterns in your specific sleep routine. Everyone has a slightly different body clock to each other. Sometimes you think it's insomnia, but it's DSPD. Sometimes it's the other way around. Like mm. you don't necessarily know these things because you haven't been trained to do it. So having someone to walk you through step-by-step step every week, like how has the new strategies gone? How has the new bedtime gone, et cetera, et cetera. It can be really valuable. So families can talk to their GP about referral options and they can talk about getting a mental health care plan to subsidize sessions through Medicare. Winning that battle for better sleep can be a bit of a journey for some, and with some strategies to put in place, it can be a battle that can be won over time. Dr Chelsea Reynolds has provided us with an array of strategies that might be useful for us and our young people. We want to make sure that we associate our bed with sleepiness and sleepiness alone. This means no studying, working or playing games in bed, and it also means separating this environment from ongoing stressful, ruminative or worrying thoughts. We can achieve this in several ways. Remember the petrol tank analogy? When we're going to bed, we want to make sure that our petrol tanks are completely empty. Even when our body is tired, our minds can still be active. Spend time relaxing around some dim light and when you notice yourself yawning and your eyes are starting to get heavy, that's when we want to hit the hay. The strategy of cognitive refocusing can also be useful when we're having thoughts going around and around in our heads. Think of it as a bit of an upgrade to counting sheep. We're not forcing our brains to be quiet, but instead we're shifting the focus to think about something else, something pleasant or relaxing. The new thing that we focus on tends to be different for everyone. It can be thinking about the path you take when you take the dog for a walk, or it can be thinking about a movie that you've seen a million times before and replaying that in your head. Or you can be thinking about swimming laps up and down a swimming pool. There's no right or wrong answer here, as long as you're not focusing on stressful things like work or interpersonal conflict. We can also be putting in the effort beyond those hours leading up to bedtime. In the morning when you wake up, it's best to get bright sunlight directly in your eyes. This can help to suppress the sleepiness hormone, melatonin, and regulate your overall sleep cycle. It's also about working as a team with your young people. We want to be able to ask them what we can do to help support them to have healthier sleep patterns. Or we can have agreements on how you can remind them of longer-term goals in a respectful way. We can role model healthy sleep habits and have consistent rules for everyone in the house. Young people can also make pacts with their friends to commit to healthier sleep habits. Of course, if there are ongoing sleep difficulties, it can be beneficial to see a dedicated sleep psychologist. This can help provide individualised interventions specific to the problematic sleep patterns you or your young person are experiencing. Thank you to our guest today, clinical psychologist who specialises in sleep, Dr Chelsea Reynolds. As always, there are resources in the show notes if you want further information on what we've discussed today. Make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you access your podcasts from so you can be kept up to date with the release of new episodes. That's it for Bright Psych today. 
I'm Danny O'Connor. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.